learning from you, Lord. I ask for words of knowledge, words of wisdom from your throne. May we be a people that are set apart, Lord. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. Awesome. You guys may say hi to someone and then take a seat. Awesome, awesome. Great. If you guys have your Bibles while I give announcements, go ahead and turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, as we're finishing, finishing up the chapter 11, and we've been through 11 for a while now. And it's been awesome. It's been awesome to see the, all the, the lessons that the disciples were learning. Uh, before we get into that, I, I want to uh, encourage you guys to come on out for the first Friday of September. We're going to have a movie night here. Uh, yeah, so all your all families, kids are, are going to be invited, and uh, it'll be a time of, of fellowship. Um, we're trying to get some food. Uh, the men's fellowship, I want to get bring some food in to, to just bless the people and we'll, we'll, you know, let people know. Let people know there's going to be a, a, a Christian-based movie shown here. We'll let you know what movie that is in the future. Um, so that's coming up the first Friday of uh, September. I think it's September 3rd, if I'm correct. Uh, and then, yeah, time is flying, isn't it? And with that, uh, reminders, uh, every Wednesday night. Yes, question. What time is that? Oh, it's going to be at 6.30 p.m. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and with that, um, for men's Friday nights are, are continuing every Friday at 7 o'clock. If any of the guys would like to come out, we've been having a really good time and growing in, in the Word. And it's a, a real opportunity, actually, uh, when you have a small group of men to, to dive in. And at the end, we kind of even talk about some of the verses that we that we covered. So I want to invite you guys out to that every Friday at 7 p.m. Wednesday night studies also every Wednesday at 7 p.m. We've been going to the book of Corinthians. And, and it's so cool how the Lord is lining up the themes and the messages with Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights and Fridays. We were talking a lot about division over the last few weeks. Uh, that's been coming out of the scriptures and Corinthians and the gospel of, of Luke. And then this past Friday night, man, if you guys were there, we talked about the family, the unity that we have now in Christ. So it's a blessing. I want to encourage you guys to come on out uh, on Friday nights. Uh, and with that, also, if you guys feel that this place is a, a place you could call your home, something that's blessed you, and you would like to give uh, to Redeem Church, there's opportunity to do, to do that. We do have that. If you guys have Chase and the Zal app, you guys can give through that. Um, also, there's the Agape box in the back if you would like to put into that. But I want to encourage you guys, if you're visiting here today, then don't feel any pressure at all to, to, to give. You know, this is a, a church where we believe that this ministry is for the purpose of blessing the people. So that's, that's our focus. Uh, one of the focuses. Now with that, I'll close announcements. We're going to also, I'm not going to close announcements. We have Bibles. If anyone needs a Bible, um, Howard would love uh, to pass that over to you if anyone needs a Bible this morning. If not, then we'll continue in Luke's Gospel, chapter 11. Um, and before we do that, I, I do want to pray one more time before we enter into this, these last few verses. We're in verse 37. Heavenly Father, again, I pray and I ask, Lord, for myself to be removed 
for your Holy Spirit to flow through me. And Lord, that you would teach us, Lord, how to be more like Jesus. That we would flee sin, Lord. And that, Lord, we would just find that fulfillment, that purpose-filled life in you, in Jesus. Father, give us repentance in our hearts and give us comfort. Give us encouragement, Lord, and confirmation. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. My title for the church today, and if you're visiting here, uh, I, I do want to give you guys a, uh, a warning on, on this study. Because as I was going through it, the Holy Spirit was checking my heart. Ooh, checking my heart. Because we're going to talk today about hypocrisy in the church. On today's study, we're going to watch Jesus as he approaches the Pharisees. And he starts calling them out on all the things that they had wrong. You see, as we study the Bible, some of the, the accounts that we see, the way God used to speak to his people. You know, in, in, in prior times, God had to select a prophet to hear the word of the Lord so that he can pass that message on to his children, Israel. So we have God who desires to speak to the world. Why? Because there was a separation. We know there was a separation. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and, and suddenly the fellowship between man and God was broken. So God had to select someone, take someone set apart from the world that he can speak to that man. And then that man would then go and share the word that God had given them to the people. And specifically, he chose the people of Israel. He wanted them to represent himself to the entire world. So once Moses came along, the people then began to look to Moses as the man who was going to give them the word of God, the direction. He made that covenant with them, God to his people. And then Moses passed that on to other prophets. And they would prophesy to Israel. And then eventually, we had the, the people who were following the laws and the commandments that Moses had given, and they became what's called the, the Pharisees. They were the priesthood. Now, the Pharisees, the priesthood, they began to take these laws and then to put themselves as the lawgivers in a place, in a position, a stature, a feeling that they were above everyone else. And they loved that people had to look to them in order so that people could understand what God was saying. So instead of being like Moses who was humble in giving the word to the people, they became prideful. And they loved it when people would greet them in the marketplaces. You see, we're going to learn all about that today. Remember who the Pharisees were. That they, they were so angry with Jesus. They had this hatred build up in them. Why? Because what did Jesus do when he started to come into the disciples' life and in the people of Israel's life? He started to say, look, you can come to the Father through me. You can go to God through me. And the Pharisees in their mind are like, wait a second. Is this guy trying to usurp our authority? Is he trying to take away our position as the rulers in Israel? Who does he think he is? And they hated this, and this hatred grew so much that they began to plot against him to kill him. Let's silence our phones this morning. Love you, Chris. 
And there was that animosity towards Jesus. So Jesus came in and he broke that, that, that gap between us and God the Father. So keep in mind, all these Pharisees, they had all so many traditions that they followed. So I want to start off today by giving you my first point. And we're going to go through these verses from 11, I'm sorry, chapter 11, verse 37. My first point today, keep traditions in check. Let's start with verse 37. And as he spoke, a certain Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and sat down to eat. Now, I remind us, the Pharisees, they're the antagonists of the gospel accounts. And to go and have supper with someone, it was a very intimate action. Because the Jews believed that as you would partake of that food that was put in the center, everyone went back, they weren't afraid of COVID at that time. They were just eating out of the same bowl, right? There were just like germs everywhere, okay? But they saw that as so intimate, because they believed that the bread and the soup that they were eating that was in the center, the same piece of bread that was there in the center that you took a part of, the other person also took a part of, and now both was joined in that same piece of bread. There was that fellowship, that intimacy. They were becoming one with one another as they ate. So Jesus, when he hears that this Pharisee is like, hey, come to my house and eat with me, he responds by accepting the invitation. So I have to ask myself, if a, if a member of some legalistic religious background happened to hang out with a bunch of self-righteous, prideful people, came and invited me or one of you guys out for dinner, would you guys go eat with them? Hmm. Maybe some of us would be like, nah, I don't want to eat with that guy. Forget that guy. But Jesus did. In verse 38, when the Pharisees saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. Now, something to understand when this guy's marveling that Jesus didn't wash before dinner, it's not so much the washing of hands as a form of the way we see it as cleanliness. You see, the Pharisees had a very strict way that they ceremonially washed themselves before eating. You see, the Pharisees, what they would do is they would wash their hands all the way down to the elbow and make sure all the water would run off of their elbow. And they practiced that such a strict way of, of ceremonially cleansing themselves because they saw it as, okay, my hands need to be clean to partake in this holy blessing that the Lord is giving me. But then they did it just out of, out of tradition. And it wasn't something that God had instituted, but it was something that the Pharisees created in their, all their millions of laws that they made. Down to the elbow. And something I see in this is you have, on one side you have Jesus, freedom in Christ, who's partaking of the meal. And then on the other side you have tradition, the traditions of men. And those are contrary to one another at times. The word for tradition, it means a giving over of the rules by word of mouth or in writing and instruction and in narrative. This is the transmission of customs or beliefs from one generation to the other. So I started to wonder, I was like, hmm, what are, what are these traditions? You see, sometimes they're not even found in the scripture, but do we have traditions today? 
I think we do. You guys like celebrating Christmas? Mm, that's a tradition, right? We think of it, oh, that's the, the holiday where we celebrate Jesus' birth, right? How, that's, not a, that's in the Bible, right? Mm, Christmas isn't in the Bible. Jesus' birth, absolutely, but we don't even, when we study history, see that Jesus was born anywhere near the time of Christmas. But it became a tradition for us to celebrate it during December. Interesting. I don't want to go on a rant on how it was actually started in pagan celebration back then, the, the December holiday. But I, let me throw this out there. I still celebrate Christmas, all right, every year. We have freedom in Christ. What about the Sabbath, right? The Bible says to keep the Sabbath day holy. Well, do you know what that means? What the Sabbath is? The Sabbath, according to the Jewish law, began at Friday evening and went to Saturday evening. Why aren't we meeting here on, on Saturdays? We're, are we not keeping the Sabbath holy? Oh man, Seventh-day Adventists, if you go to one of their churches, they think that we're, not, we're going to hell because we don't celebrate or celebrate, have church on Saturdays. So who, who's right? Hmm. Traditions? Yeah, we have traditions. What about communion once a month? Where in the Bible does it say that we're supposed to have communion once a month? But Jesus said, as often as you guys get together. Am I scaring some of you guys right now? I hope not. Because look, uh, with all these lists that I'm giving you guys out, freedom in Christ. Paul said it doesn't matter what day you celebrate the Lord's day because every day is the Lord's day. I'll put that in my list of traditions that we still have. What about an hour and a half church services? That's usually how they are, right? In most non-denominational churches. I don't think that the disciples, when they had to walk all the way to their temple synagogue in order to have their service, were only there for an hour and a half. I'm pretty sure it was probably a, a bit longer than that. What about our worship services? We have, what, 25 minutes of worship before the study starts? Is that a rule that we have to follow? And if other churches go for, for three hours, then, oh man, they're, they're like something weird. We don't want to go there. What about tattoos? Ooh. Well, you're, they're going to show me in the Old Testament, right? It says not to mark your skin, right? But remember who that was given to? The Israelites? The priesthood, actually? So our, our tattoos, have, have that been a tradition that it's evil? What about the way we dress? I wanted to wear a, a normal t-shirt this morning, but uh, my new t-shirts right now, they're, they're in the wash right now. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, so I wore my flannel today. But what about the way we, we, we dress? Do we have to have a strict way of dressing? Some churches, if I was to wear a t-shirt up here and teach, Oh man, they'd be like, they walk out the door if they walked in here right now. That's our attire. What about who's allowed in church? Do we not have grace on people sometimes? And I'll end with this on my list, long list of traditions that we follow. I remember I was at Calvary Chapel in, in Diamond Bar and the Whosoevers had just started their, their tours of, of having these conferences where they would invite everyone and everyone to come in and hear the gospel. And you had a bunch of people from crazy lifestyles because they would have 
means of bringing in these motorcycle riders and, and these heavy metal bands that were Christian based in order to bring in a crowd of people that honestly was, was they weren't, some of them, a lot of them weren't saved, but it was, they were attracted to, oh, the motorcycles or, oh, the music. And suddenly people were coming in and all of a sudden you got people smoking in the par- church parking lot. And people were like, dude, what's going on? Like, there's people smoking in the parking lot. Is this the new Christian? Is this, is this what's going on? And I'd be like, hey, you know what I see, man? I see hundreds of people getting saved here by the name of Jesus tonight. I was one of those people who was kind of coming alongside that right when that was happening. And when I got saved, I, I was high on, on drugs when I got saved. Literally, like in the moment that I gave my life to the Lord, I was coming down from a high. So I know that God can work through that. And I'm not going to say, hey, no, don't come into this place because you smell like smoke. In verse 39, Then the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees make the outside of the cup and the dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? Now look at this. I, last week I talked about the illustration of that we are that, that vessel that's like a cup. And when we have sin in our life, there's, there's mud in the cup. And in order to get the mud out, you have to pour in the hot water and the soap. That's, that's the word. That's the Holy Spirit. That's Jesus coming into your life and all the dirt starts to come out. In that same manner, Jesus is giving the Pharisees here an illustration. He's calling them out for only cleaning the outside of the cup. You see, that's they take all that, that cup full of dirt and they just clean the outside of it. Have you guys ever heard of someone buying a lemon? You know what a lemon is? A lemon is that car that, that's broken down on the inside, outside. It looks really nice. You see, the designer of a car knows the inside works of the car just as well as the outside of the car. And that's why sometimes they try to make that quick sale. They're like, get out of here. Go, go, go. I know some of us have practiced that here today. <laughs> In that same manner, God who created us knows our hearts just as well as he knows our outward doings. The way we make ourselves appear to people. The way that we show people that we're working in our Christianity. But God knows the inward parts of us. You see, we have the traditions of men that I mentioned earlier that we still follow. Which, I'll preface this, you know, they're not bad. However, if they are more important than your relationship with Jesus then you're in sin this morning. If the traditions that we follow are more important than our relationship with Jesus, then we are in sin this morning. And we need to repent. Point two, reject hypocrisy. Let's look at verse 41. But rather give alms of such things as you have. Then indeed all things are clean to you. 
But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Now, Jesus here, he's going to say woe six times in these verses. And the, the word for woe, it's like an exclamation of just grief, of sorrow, of like, woe. Right here when he's saying the first woe, he's saying, look, you guys are, are tithing in the, these herbs, these mint and rue is what he's talking about here. They would take them to the synagogue and, and it was part of their, their law, their traditions that they had passed on from the elders that they would leave those around everywhere. However, they were in fact at the same time that they would do that, they were robbing the people. Remember why Jesus got so mad? We're going to read about that later on in the temple. He started overturning the temples. Do you remember why? It was because people were going to sacrifice to the Lord and they would take their little lamb or their chicken or their cow and they'd say, okay, I want to offer this as a sacrifice to the Lord so that I could be atoned for my sins. And when they would get to the temple, the Pharisees would look at and examine the animal and say, oh, you know what? It's got a little cut right here on the bottom of its foot. So you can't give that to the Lord. It's, it's not a good animal. But what you can do is you can buy our animal at an upgraded price, they would sell it. And, the, and you could sacrifice that to the Lord and then your sins will be forgiven. And they were fleecing the flock of the people. Don't fleece the flock, I've been exhorted. You see, these particular Pharisees would at the same time in, in another portion of scripture, Jesus said, you guys strain at a gnat and you swallow a camel. And that idea for, for straining at a gnat, it's they had it in their law that they couldn't eat anything with blood in it. And if a little gnat flew in their mouth, they'd be like, Wah! so they could get the gnat out. And that's how they were so strict. And at that same time, Jesus said, yeah, you do that, but then you go and you swallow a whole camel. Oh, and he's giving them that illustration. You see, I'll give us an illustration this morning. That would be like us getting a double chili cheeseburger from Tommy's, ordering some chili cheese fries, amen, and a chili dog. And then at, at the last part when they're like, oh, would you like something to drink? Oh, I'll, I'll take a Diet Coke, please. I want to watch my figure. It's like, what? You're going to eat all that and think the Diet Coke's going to save you? No. And we, <laughs> no. No, I rebuke. And Jesus is saying, look, why, why are you taking away this little small tradition, making it the be most important thing, and yet you're taking away the heart of the gospel message and you're rejecting that? So I have two questions for us this morning. Are there things in our life that we make a big fuss about without it being based on the Bible? Think about it. Are there things in your life that you're making a big deal over and it's not even based in the Bible? And secondly, do you allow things in your life that God does not approve of and you're not making a big fuss about it. 
Is there sin in your life, those little gray areas that you're like, oh, it's, it's okay, God doesn't care about that. And you're not really seeing it from the eyes of God? If that's us, we're hypocrites. And you feel, if you feel that conviction, that sting this morning, that's a good thing. That's what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, ministering to you. You know, sometimes I've heard people say, I, I don't go to church because it's just a, full of a bunch of hypocrites. And the response to that is, well, come join us, and we're, we're always taking more hypocrites. But the point is this church, this place, it's a hospital, a spiritual hospital, a place where we can grow to flee from sin and to learn to be mature and wise servants of the Lord. Look at verse 43. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. So I want to explain this a little bit. They loved those best seats in the house, meaning that they felt that they deserved the best seat in the house. You want to know who else loved the best seat in the house? Satan, the devil. He has the five I wills, right? He's like, I wanted to be the God. I wanted to be, to be the man. What else did the Pharisees like? They loved the greetings in the marketplaces, meaning they loved being popular. They had all their Twitter and social media accounts at 5 million viewers, and they just loved that everyone looked at what they did. You see, they had the acceptance of the people and of the world at the expense of being holy. So when we have in our life acceptance at the expense of being holy, it's sin in our life. And sometimes we just want to feel like we're accepted in this world. Yet the Lord calls us to not be a part of it, to be out of this world. As a minister, what these Pharisees should have been, they were actually supposed to be a slave to the Lord and a servant to the people, a slave to the people, really. That's what these Pharisees, the rule was supposed to do. And sometimes now we got it mixed up in in ministries at times where the minister thinks that they're king rather than a servant, rather than a slave. Have you heard me say this before? If you start to see that the ministers of Redeemed church acts more like kings than they do slaves, then you guys can leave. Shut this place down. Point three. We will be offensive. In verse 44, Jesus says again, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like graves which are not seen. And the men who walk over them are not aware of them. Jesus right here is saying, you guys are like hidden graves in a field and people just walk over them not realizing underneath is death and decay. They were standing in God's holiness, yet they were standing in death. They were standing in that place. They were trying to take the glory for themselves. You see, in ministry, we have this saying, we say you don't touch the women You don't touch the money and you don't touch the glory. Because those are the major pitfalls that sometimes the church leaders have. In verse 45, Then one of the lawyers answered and said to him, Teacher, 
by saying these things, you reproach us also. Man, Jesus is going hard at the, at the Pharisees and this lawyer who is the same as a scribe back then. He's like, man, you, you guys are you're hurting us. I'm like, grow up, man. It's a reproach. That word for reproach, it's to cause injury to another by speaking evil of him. And Jesus, at times, he was offensive. Truth without love is brutality. And love without truth is hypocrisy. We need both. We need to give people truth with love. Because if you're giving them truth and there's no love in your heart, you're just slamming them down. You don't even care if they get restored to the Lord. And if you give someone love, but you don't share the truth that their sin is going to lead them to hell, then we're hypocrites. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 through 8, talks about Jesus being an offense. In verse 7 of 1 Peter chapter 2, we read, Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. You see, Jesus is that stumbling block. He was that stumbling block to the Pharisees. Because back then he would talk about those hot topic issues. You know, people today as a country, we've become so easily offended. We're so sensitive. And we think that our lives are supposed to be perfect as a country. That there shouldn't be suffering in this world. People are very offended by biblical principles. You guys have seen it on social media, on TV. You see, because believing that abortion is sin, that's offensive to people. People get angry with that. Believing that homosexuality is a sin is offensive to people. That's hate speech. Even believing that a man is a leader in his home that's offensive to people. Yeah, we're created equal, but God gave us different roles, different positions to fulfill. And we have so many, the way the world responds when they are, are, are offended, they offend right back. They try to silence opposing beliefs and they don't want to hear them. And then we have the whole cancel culture and what's happening in our Southern California today. I'm here because God's called me here. But what we see is if you guys live in this state, it, it's, I'll say it, it's, it's very turning away from the biblical principles. But I don't teach philosophy, I teach the word. And when I teach the word through it, God does, takes care of all the other, all those rules and regulations that comes right out of his word in verse 46 and he said woe to you also lawyers for you load men with burdens and hard to bear and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers now i, I said this that lawyers they were the same as the scribes it was a the same word 
And they were the enforcers, the teachers, and the authority concerning the Jewish laws and traditions. Remember even in Luke's gospel, chapter 6, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were watching Jesus, whether he's going to heal this guy on the Sabbath. And what happened? In Luke chapter 6, verse 9 through 11, after Jesus heals this man on the Sabbath, Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy? And when he had looked around them all, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand, and he did so. And his hand was restored as whole as the other. But they were filled with rage and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. You see, they saw a miracle on the Sabbath day as work. And they're like, no, the Lord said you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath day. This Jesus guy, is, he's going against the Lord's Ten Commandments. And Jesus is like, God cares more about a soul than about making sure we're not working on the Sabbath. Point four. We will face persecution. In verse 47, Jesus says again to these Pharisees, Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. In fact, you bear witness that you approve the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them, and you build their tombs. They used to build these shrines for the prophets that were murdered. And they would build these shrines and they would go there and be like, oh, this is a holy place. But they forgot that their fathers were the ones who killed the prophets. You guys remember what happened with the account of Stephen in the book of Acts? After Jesus had already did his work, his life ministry, the gospel was fulfilled. Stephen became the first martyr of the church. And then Stephen, when he was addressing the Sanhedrin, when they came, they heard that this guy was preaching that Jesus was God that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. They said, hey, we need to get rid of this guy. And they started to come to Stephen and attack him. And he began to give them really a, a strong rebuke on their history, on how their forefathers, which they so envied and, and magnified, their forefathers killed the prophets and also killed Jesus. And then at, in Acts chapter 7, verse 51 through 53, Stephen gives it to them. He says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. See, Stephen didn't hold back the truth with these Pharisees. It led to his death, to his martyrdom. They stoned him. And he called them out. He didn't hold back the truth. He called them stiff-necked, proud, not humble. And they accused Stephen of disrespecting Moses when they killed Jesus. Is that us sometimes? Are we following these traditions in our life so hard and, and putting down other people? What God has given us in so much grace, do we deny that grace in other people's life? 
Let's look at verse 49. Therefore the wisdom of God also said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and persecute, that the blood of all the prophets, which was shed from the foundation of the world, may be required of this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the temple. Yes, I say to you, it shall be required of this generation." So look, it's so many, so much through history, so many prophets were killed by the world. Something I found interesting in verse 51, I never realized, Jesus likens Abel. Remember the story of Cain and Abel? Cain and Abel, they both brought sacrifices to the Lord and God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but not Cain. So what did Cain do? He rose against his brother and slaughtered him. He killed him. And Jesus claims that Abel was right there with the, amongst the other prophets. Zechariah was killed in between the temple, between the altar. And I'm thinking of all our modern day martyrs that we have to this day. More recently, uh, I was looking on this Afghan story. Pastors in Afghanistan right now are being persecuted. There was an article by a pastor named Josh Manley who's in communication with some of these pastors there in, in Afghanistan. And he said in his article, I'll quote to you, he says, one house church leader sent me a picture of the small room where he was hiding with his family. He wrote, this is where I am living. We are now hidden right now in different areas. And then another even pastor wrote to him and said, we can't, can't go out like normal. It's dangerous. We've moved to one of my friend's houses, but it's not safe at all. And Mindy Bells at the World reports that the pastors say the Taliban has contacted them saying that they are coming for them. So we pray for the church that's being persecuted. Do we think that's gonna ha not going to happen here in America? We think it's not, Right? But what's going to happen when preaching God's word becomes such an offense that they outlaw the Bible, that we're not allowed to meet anymore? We haven't even experienced anything like that persecution. Our persecution is, oh, it hurt my feelings. And yes, I'm not going to take away from the sting of that. Do we get persecuted as believers? Yeah, we do. But not to bloodshed. Not yet. Point five, don't stumble others. In verse 52, Jesus says, Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourselves, and those who were entering in you hindered. See, I regret as I read this to say that many believers who know the principles of salvation, grace and mercy have hindered others from receiving it by our lifestyle. You see, people see us in, in our sins or in our, our meanness and in our self-righteousness at times and they're saying, well, if that's what Christianity is, I don't want any part of it. I don't want that in my life. So we have to be careful. Some people say, well, I don't, I don't care. Nobody can judge me but God, right? I don't care what other people think about me. Well, yeah, you know what? There's a balance to that. 
you know, when we're walking in Christ, when we're doing the things that our Father, our Heavenly Father has called us to, yeah, we don't care what the world thinks. But when we lead others astray because the world is seeing us and seeing the way we live and it's contrary to God, yeah, we need to care how we represent God to the rest of the world. Jesus said that it, it'd be better for you to tie a millstone around your neck and be cast into the bottom, the depths of the ocean, than to stumble one of these little ones. Jesus took it seriously, not stumbling others. In verse 53, he says, And as he said these things to them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to assail him vehemently and to cross-examine him about many things, lying in wait for him and seeking to catch him in something he might say that they might accuse him. See, now that conviction was growing in their heart and they couldn't take it, so they began to attack Jesus' character and to try to question and debate with him. Something I want to say as we enter into this next chapter, Luke chapter 12, real quick. Uh, the chapters and the verses, aren't they're not in the original text. As you're reading this, and you can see there's actually a flow, that chapter 11 flows right into chapter 12. The verses and the chapter numbers were put there by the translators much later. But it flows right in. Jesus is, is attacking them. He's rebuking these Pharisees who are hypocrites. And then it says in verse 1 of chapter 12, In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And Jesus used that word leaven. It's, it's that, that yeast that would make the dough rise when they would create bread and food. And it's illustrated as sin because it only takes a little bit of leaven to leaven the whole lump of bread. And that's what sin is in our life. It just takes a little bit of sin to get in your heart and into your mind so that you begin to compromise. Perhaps you guys have heard of the illustration of cooking a toad. You see, a toad, if you were to take it and put it in a boiling pot of water, and if you would put it in there, all of a sudden the toad would be like, it's hot, and it would jump out, right? But if you put that toad in lukewarm water, and he's just chilling, he's just floating there, and you slowly increase the temperature of that pot, slowly and slowly, it's just like, oh, this is nice, this is really nice, and he just falls asleep, ah, dies. That's what sin is. That's what sin can do in our life. Whereas if Satan just was to throw the worst, most incredible sin towards your direction, open that door for it, you'd be like, oh, I'm not going to do that. No way, no how. But if God just wants to show you just a little something weird on TV one day, something you shouldn't be watching, and shows you that, and suddenly your eyes go to that, that TV channel, or the music, or something where God begins to just allow little compromises in our life, that's how we begin to fall into sin. Point six. Sin will be found out. Jesus said to the Pharisees and his disciples, For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark 
will be heard in the light, and what you have spoken in the ear and inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. You see, we can only be hypocrites before men, but never before God. God sees right through our mask. You know what the word hypocrite means? The word hypocrite comes from the Greek word that was the stage actor. They had those different masks that they would put on and one would be a smiley face or a sad face. That's where they get the word hypocrite from. Someone who wears a mask on what they appear to be on the outside, but inwardly there's something completely different. And it it's, breaks my heart when these awesome men of God some of them we've looked up to and read their sermons, their books. We hear about their, their sin, their great falling, and it just destroys their ministry. It's like, man, Satan loves to do that. He loves to bring a black eye to the church. So may we stay away from that. In verse 4, And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who will kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. And think about it, as he's saying this to his disciples, 10 of them, they're going to become martyrs. 10 of these men would give their life for the gospel. And he's telling them, look, don't be afraid of what man can do to your bodies. Point seven, fear the Lord. In verse five, Jesus says, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he has killed has the power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. We're going to end here today, but I have a few verses after that huge rebuke that the Lord was giving to the Pharisees and perhaps to some of us this morning. He's saying, fear the Lord. You see, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the Bible teaches us. And that word for fear, for the believers, it's a reverence and a love towards God the Father. That we don't want to sin because we don't want to break the heart of the Father. But for non-believers, the fear of the Lord, it brings torment. So they reject the idea that there's a God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 15 through 16 out of the New Living Translation, Paul writes this. He says, Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God, but this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom, but to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. See, the way the world sees believers, we, we are, we're evil. We're death. They call evil good and good evil. But to other believers, when you see them and come in contact with your spiritual family, they're like, hey, the Spirit of God this is my brother in the Lord. In verse 6, I guess we're not done. Actually, I have two more verses. In verse 6, Jesus says, Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not therefore, do you do not fear therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. 
So what I see here is God values you. God cares about you. He loves you. And he even cares about the trials that you're going through. He counts all the hairs on your head. And when you look at that in stark contrast to what these Pharisees were doing to the people, they were prideful. And who is this author of pride? Who brings into our hearts and into our minds pride? It's Satan. I quoted this, I paraphrased this verse earlier in Isaiah, what Satan said. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 through 14. Satan said, I'm going to ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north, and I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. These are the words that Lucifer said. He wanted to take God's position. So now with all this, we've been learning, man, maybe there's hypocrisy in our hearts, in our minds, in our lifestyle. What do we do then? What is our defense against Satan, the ruler of darkness, against pride in our heart? Our defense this morning, Christian believer, is the indwelling spirit of God in our hearts, in our life. The Holy Spirit living in us. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. You see God working in you so that you can do his pleasure, his good pleasure. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, Paul writes, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. You see, the spirit in the flesh. The spirit belongs to us. It's been given to us. In Ephesians chapter 8, verse 8 and 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So we remember these things. Salvation is a work that God does for us. Sanctification is a work God does, work God does in us. Now remember, we can rely on God for these things. In Jude chapter 1, verse 1, Jude writes to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Called, sanctified. That's that sanctification that God does that work. And we simply need to surrender our will to God. In James chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, it says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And lastly, James 4.10 Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. See, humility is not thinking poorly of yourself. It's simply not thinking about yourself. Know yourself, accept yourself, and yield yourself to God. Martin Luther has this quote, and I'll end with this. Martin Luther said, Sin boldly but believe and rejoice in Christ more boldly still. Take courage and confess your sin and do not try to run away from it, 
but believe more boldly still. You are a sinner, so be a sinner, and don't try to become what you are not. He can never become sinless, who is in fear, who in his fear despairs from the grace of God. So are we sinners here this morning? Yeah, we are. But does God have grace even more so? Absolutely. We have grace in Jesus Christ that we can be sanctified in the eyes of our Father. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. Lord Jesus, as uh, your Spirit ministered to us on hypocrisy, Father, perhaps some of those issues that, that Jesus hates, we find in our hearts today. So Lord, would you help us to flee from that? If this morning you find yourself stuck on legalism, on tradition, on being ungraceful to others, and you just want the Holy Spirit to give you new insight on Jesus, on his grace, on his freedom, I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand. If that's you this morning, I'm going to pray a prayer right now. And just pray along with me. Dear Jesus, I've been a hypocrite. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to walk in the freedom of Christ. Give me discernment. Give me wisdom. I love you, and I ask that you'd fill me with your spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. encourage you guys to, um, to be in your words, to have that devotion at home with the Lord, that he might use you. Be ready for him to use you this week. And I confess to you guys that as I was going through that study that I, I was convicted myself. The traditions of men that sometimes we make more important than what God has for us. So be filled. Just know the joy that God has a plan for your life, that he's not done with you. He's working in us, that he's doing a new work. So with that, we can sing and praise him. Wait.
waited for the Lord, my soul waits, I wait for the Lord, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, I wait for the Lord, in His Word I place my trust, in His Word I rest. For I know I must wait Man shall not live by bread alone But by every word of God I shall not live by bread alone But by every For the Lord, my soul waits. I wait for the Lord. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. I wait for the Lord. In His Word, I place my trust. In His Word, I rest. In His Word, I place my trust, for I know I must wait. Amen. We'll see you guys Wednesday night. Love you and walk in the Spirit.